0: fall. Well, as many of you know, it's been a uh, very eventful couple weeks in um, my life for my wife and I. Um, Our daughter Alicia got married a couple weeks ago, and uh, a number of you have asked me what that experience like was to be dad, and then also she asked me to officiate at the wedding, and I would say it was more beautiful and more difficult than I ever imagined in my life. And uh, so many of you who have had that experience as dads, you can understand that. Uh, But it was a great honor and privilege to be a part of that and celebrating that with her. And then uh, my son headed off to college, so the house is um, quieter, and the house is not as messy, but not as chaotic and passionate. Um, And his poor dog is very lonely right now, so I'm I'm not filling the bill for the dog, you know. But uh, so we're excited for him launching into his second year uh, down at Liberty University. So a lot of changes for us as a family over these past couple of weeks. But I want to ask you this question this morning. Um, how many of you have a piece of this equipment sitting in your house? Okay, not this that, that, that equipment. How many of you have one of those sitting in your house? Let me see, how many of you have one of those sitting in your house? And, and how many of you it looks like this? <laughs> how many of you it looks like this? I, I helped one of our pastors, Roddy, move a couple months ago. and We moved a treadmill into his basement and I said... I said, Roddy, do you use a treadmill? He said, No, I don't use a treadmill. I said, Does your wife use it? No, she doesn't use a treadmill. I said, Why are we moving this treadmill into the basement? I, said, I have no idea. I was just told to move it into the basement, you know. Um, but how many of you are using it to dry clothes, hang things on, or your grandkids use it as, as uh, monkey bars, you know? And there's a title for these things, they're called Gently Used gently used and you know what gently used is gently used is a category of items that have barely been used they may even still have the price tag on it may still have the new store smell and feel and you thought you were going to use them but you now have no longer of a desire to use them and you're planning to sell them and guess what one of the best deals on gently used items are consumer grade exercise equipment why did you buy that why did you buy it You bought it because you're a believer, right? You're a believer in getting healthy and taking care of your body and being a good example for your family and getting in shape. You're a believer. That's the reason you bought it. Not because it was on sale. Not because it was a good deal. But let me ask you this question. Is being a believer enough to get you to use that piece of equipment? Yes or no? No. No. Being a believer is not enough because everyone who owns one of these is a believer, but it's not enough. What makes the difference? What makes a difference? How many of you have have ever exercised when you did not want to do so? Let me see your hands. A lot of the room. Wow, wow, a lot of the room. Or you even had a bad attitude. You didn't want to do it, but you did it. Because what? Doing makes a difference, not believing. Not believing. This is true in many areas of life, especially at exercise. Doing makes a difference, Doing makes a difference. There's a second reality to this that is also true, and that's accountability makes a difference. Accountability makes a difference. Yesterday I had a friend that we were going to go for a ride together, and I got busy doing a few things. I said, hey, I'll be here at this time. And I, th- Things went, s- my schedule got pushed back, people were talking, and I, had, I had said, well, no, it's going to be this time. And then another, I could have easily bagged that ride other than that guy was waiting for me to get to his house for us to go on that ride. And so accountability makes a difference, and those are two dynamics. Believing doesn't make a difference, doing does, and accountability makes a difference. And this morning, we're going to begin a new series over the next four weeks entitled Emergency Room. Emergency Room. How many of you have ever been in an emergency room? Okay, you've taken someone there, you've been a patient, most of the room, most of the room. So we all know what it's like to be in a situation where there's a crisis, and all of, all of our lives, we will find ourselves either in a crisis ourselves or in a crisis with someone. It happens to all of us. Not just physically, spiritually, emotionally. And God has a plan for you to navigate these emergency room situations in our lives. And over the next four weeks, we're going to look at them. We're going to look at them. this morning, we're going to at God's design for your personal care, kind of the big idea. And then we're going to talk about preventive care. Then we're going to look at what do we do in a crisis, and then we're going to look at when to stop helping. You know, some of the resources we use here at CCC uh, come from an organization called North Point down in Atlanta, and we use their community studies and Starting Point, and one of their lead communicators, Ann Lee Stanley, had some great thoughts that I wanted to share with you this morning and sprinkle in some of my own. The truth is... For everybody in this room who claims to be a Christian, a a Christ follower, uh, we're all believers. We're all believers. And most of us have a few essential things that we can agree on. And it doesn't even matter if you're in a different church. Most of us have a few essential things we believe in. We believe that there is one God. We believe that Jesus was born of a virgin, that He was the Son of God, that He died on the cross to pay for the penalty for our sins. In spite of this, many believers... Do not act on what they believe. They're believers, just like you believe, and that's what got you to buy that exercise equipment, but they're not doing anything about it. In spite of the fact that they're believers, there's a lot of believers who don't forgive. And Jesus said to forgive. And there's a lot of believers who don't love their enemies. They actually hate their enemies and wish ill on them. Uh, There's a lot of believers who have never gone public with their faith, have never been baptized in spite of the fact that Jesus said we should do this. There's a lot of believers that don't give generously, that don't put other people first in spite of the fact that Jesus said we should do these things. We believe, but belief is not the most critical thing. It's what we do. Jesus said, I want you to be hearers of the word and doers also. You see, Jesus was never content for us just to believe. He was never content for us just to believe. He wanted to see us. He wanted us to see it in our actions. And the word for that is to follow. The word for that is to follow. Jesus doesn't want us just to believe, He wants us to follow Him. And when we follow Him, our actions show what we believe. The reality is, this is what makes life better not just believing, but following Jesus. You see, for a lot of people, the perception, and even the perception in that day among the Jewish community was, I just have to believe the right things. If I believe the right things, then my life will be right. And Jesus said, no, it's not just believing the right things, it's what you do. And Jesus not only said it's what you do, but he said, you can't do this in isolation. It's not a me, but it's a we. Paul, who became a Christ follower, Three to five years after Jesus, resurrect, after Jesus rose from the dead, he was going around the first, in the first century he was killing Christians until God dramatically rescued him. And after God dramatically rescued him, he then shifted from killing Christians to going around the Mediterranean basin planting churches and writing letters to them about what following Jesus looked like. And describing following Jesus, he used relational words. He used words like this forgive one another, accept one another, care for one another, encourage one another, submit to one another, restore one another, carry one another's burdens, and bear with one another. Paul said, this is what following Jesus looks like. Now, you may be thinking, but, but John, I, I'm a little confused because isn't it enough just for me to come to church and, and read my Bible and, and put a little bit of money in the slot? Isn't that enough for me to do those things? And while Jesus says, yes, those are important things to do, He says, and Paul agrees, that's not enough. That's not enough. Because you can't do any of these things by yourself. You have to be in relationship with someone else. It's not enough to believe it privately. You have to practice it publicly. You have to practice it publicly. When I was a kid in church, and I think most of you know that my dad was, uh, wasn't as still as a pastor, has been for over 50 years, so I kind of was in church pretty much since I was born. But, but the, the way I was taught about this when I was a kid is I was always taught about this vertical relationship with me and God. Had to make things sure things were right with me and God. Had to make sure things were right with me and God, so when my life came to an end, I'm going up and I'm not going down. That's all that really mattered. I wanted to make sure of that. Um, and then the things that I was told to do... Um, things like don't wear certain clothes or don't go to a certain place or be involved in certain things and, and be involved in a certain relationships It was all a faith based on morality. Based on morality. And the things I was supposed to do was just supposed to keep God happy. Just supposed to keep me okay with God. It was all about me and God, me and God, me and God. And the other thing that we were taught about is what, our, what to do with our money. We were always taught to give back, um, give 10% back to God. And so faith was all about, for me, morality, and finances, and it was all vertical. It was all between me and God. It was all between me and God. The problem is, is this approach to faith sets you up to be self-righteous, self-centered, legalistic, elitist, judgmental, racist, and many other things. Because anybody who didn't measure up to the vertical standard that had been created, they they were out. They were out. They were out. And Stanley created another ism. He said he came up with this other ism. It's called God's going to get them ism. God's going to get them ism. And I love that. I love that. It kind of creates this us and them, you know. And if you don't meet the standard, then God's going to get them. And you don't want to be with the people that God's going to get them. You're supposed to avoid them. They're going to poison your life. They're going to ruin your life. And we never really looked at passages where it says Jesus was a friend of sinners. And Jesus ate with people who were sinners. And the people who were least like Jesus liked Jesus the people who are least like Jesus like Jesus and so I completely miss this whole idea of this horizontal relationship that God says is the way we live out our faith it starts with God and I but it's fleshed out with other people and the book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews writes about this. And I want to invite you to, to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. I don't have the page number. It's towards the back of your Bibles if you grab one in your seat there. It's about five books from the back. Um, Hebrews chapter 10. You can follow along on your device as well and I'll have it on the screen. And, and Hebrews is a long sermon that's written to people who are Jewish people who had come to follow Jesus. And in this passage we're going to look at in Hebrews chapter 10, the writer pivots from this vertical relationship to the horizontal relationship. And so we can see the connection between those two. So Hebrews chapter 10, if you're there in verse 19, it says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. What is the writer talking about? What's the most holy place? In the Jewish temple, the one that Solomon, the one that God instructed Moses to build and Solomon built, there was a part of the temple called the Holy of Holies. It was a, holy, it was a sacred place. It had a big, thick curtain between that area and no other. You weren't going to stumble into it. And the Holy of Holies only was entered by the high priest one time a year, once in his lifetime. That's it. That's how sacred a place it was was and the writer of hebrews says we now have confidence that we get to go into that place you say how do we get to go in that place do we get a special pass you know did we get a pre you know pre-event viewing what what makes us able to go in that place he said you get to go into that place by the blood of jesus And then he goes on to say, By a newing living way opened for us through the curtain that is His blood. You say, what's he talking about? What the writer there is saying is that when Jesus died on the cross, the stories in the Gospel, the Gospel writers say that when He died on the cross and He said it is finished, that that curtain was torn in half, opening the way because of the death and the blood of Jesus for us to have free access to the Father we no longer have to go through the priest which is what the people of Israel had to do and they could go directly to him and he goes on to say let us draw near to god with a sincere heart with full assurance that faith brings us he says now we can come and we can meet with god we can be with god we can engage with god and we can do that freely and nothing is in between us and then he goes on to say in verse 23 he says, let us hold unswervingly or tightly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Unswervingly. I don't use that word very often. Anybody use the word unswervingly? I, I don't use that, but it's an interesting word. It, it literally means to hold on tightly. You know, It's a blue knuckle type of grip. You know, It's the kind of grip when you're on that tube on the back of a speedboat and you really don't want to get flipped off the tube you know you're holding on for dear life and that's what the writer says he says now that we have this free access to God he said i want us to hold on with everything we've got he said God's going to do his part he's faithful we sang about that earlier he says but you've got to hold on to this hope you've got to hold on to this hope you say what hope the hope that When this life comes to an end, there's more to it. And that's a life with God. The hope that God's not going to hold any of my sins and all the stuff I messed up against me. The hope of that. The hope that He has a better life even in this life for me as I listen to His Spirit and walk with His Spirit. The hope of all of those things. He said, you've got to hold tightly to that with everything that you have. You say, how do I hold tightly, John? and you're telling me to hold tightly, and I'm here because I'm holding tightly, but it feels like my fingers, I'm I'm kind of at the end. It's pulling out of my hands right now, and I don't know how much longer I can hold on to this. And he shifts from the vertical relationship with God to the horizontal relationship with another, and he tells us how we hold on. He says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on. How do we hold on? We hold on by by spurring one another on. You say, what's the word spurring mean? Again, not a word we use a lot, but it means to stir up, to irritate, provoke. If you're talking to a bunch of guys, it means kick one another in the seat of the pants, you know, and get them moving. That's what guys would say to one another, you know. Um, In every aspect of your life. Because what the writer of Hebrew knows is he says if you start to drift and someone has access to your life, they're going to spur you on. If you start to wander in your marriage and someone has access to your life, they're going to spur you on. If you're struggling in your faith and someone has access into your life, you're going to, they're going to spur you on. I hear people say to me often, they're like, "Ah, John, I, I, don't, I don't want anybody to be in my business. Well, I hate to tell you, but if you're a Christ follower... People are supposed to be in your business. They are. They are. Because if they aren't, you're going to let go of that rope. You're going to let go of that rope. And he says how we're supposed to do that. He says, it's not enough just to pray. It's not enough just to talk to God. It's not enough just to be involved in one another. He said, you've got to spur one another on to love and good deeds. You've got to spur one another on to love, and good deeds. And this is where belief is in action. This is getting on the elliptical. This is taking all the laundry off of it. This is putting, pushing the start button and getting on the treadmill. It's not enough to pray. It's not enough to read your Bible. It's not enough to listen to another message. You have to be able to spur one another on. And this is not the role of your spouse because we know when spouses try to spur one another on, it doesn't work well. That's why God says you need one another in your life. It would be wonderful if when our spouse points things out to us, we always said, that's so wonderful and loving of you, dear, to help me know that this is an area of my shortcoming that I need to improve on. It just doesn't work that way. I don't care how great your marriage is. But when you got a brother, you got a sister, you got someone that loves you, that comes alongside of you and says, what's happening, man? I'm really concerned. Something's not right. Can we talk about this? You're going to sit there with them and hopefully listen to them. Because again, their goal is not to fix the problem or solve the problem or make the problem go away, but to spur you and to walk with you in this journey called life and faith. Because we need someone to spur us to forgive when we've been wronged. We need someone to spur us to confess when we've wronged someone else. We need someone to spur us when someone needs to be cared for. We need someone to spur us when we need to put others first. And the writer goes on to talk about how critical this is in the next verse. He says, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Now when I heard this verse when I was a kid, that, just, that meant this meant that you weren't going to church three times a week. But I'm not sure that's what the writer of Hebrews was, was talking about. I think what the writer of Hebrews was talking about is he said, don't quit coming together to spur one another on. Don't give that up. Don't give that up. And some of you are doing that right now. Some of you are starting to think, you know, I, I, I don't know if this whole idea of relationships, I heard John talking about it, but it's a lot of work. And you know what people do to you? People hurt you. They wound you. They stab you. They don't come through for you. They say the wrong things. I, I think maybe it just needs to be me and Jesus and we're going to be okay. And some of you are like, I don't even need to be around people. I don't even want to be around people. I'm I'll just blame it on being an introvert, then I can excuse it all away, you know. And and the writer of Hebrews says, "No. No. No. Don't stop this. Don't stop this. If you do, you really don't understand faith. You don't ever mature past needing one another." I'm gonna say that again. You don't ever mature past needing one another. And there are one another's who need you. There are others who need you. And there's this divinely designed connection between community and faith. We are not meant just to sit in rows. Circles are an important part of our lives. We're not meant just to sit in rows. But circles are a part of our lives. There's two reasons why I think that it's critical for us to be in these relationships. I think the first is we have a risk of drifting away from people. We have a risk of drifting away from people. If you've ever been in a group, you know that um, group life, while it sounds glorious and wonderful, it doesn't always work out that way. And, and it's not because of the other person. It's because of you. because of me. Because we say things we don't we shouldn't say and we do things we realize later we shouldn't do and people get on your nerves and you're like I don't really have time for that and it's too hard so you step out you move away can't find a church you like and the reason for this is not the church Um, you just want to be alone I'm just going to read my bible and watch somebody online in my pajamas that's what I'm going to do And you start to drift away from people. You start to drift away from people. When Jesus was leaving the earth in one of his final addresses with a group of his followers, one of the guys, Philip, kind of got a little frustrated. He's like, Jesus, if you would just show us the Father, give us a glimpse of God, and then we'll believe. Just give us a little glimpse. That's all we need. Jesus said, haven't I been here long enough, guys, so you get it? He said this. He says, if you've seen me, and you can finish the rest of this, you've seen who? The Father, right? Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I'm as close as you're going to get to seeing the Father. If you look past me, you're not going to get any closer to God. And if you stay far away and you don't move towards me, you're going to miss him. And then what did Jesus do? He died. He died. And he was buried, and he rose again, and then he went back up to heaven. And then Paul wrote about the church, and he says, the church is the body of Christ. He says, John's not the body of Christ. Tim and Roddy, they're not the body of Christ. You know, Pete, Sue, Sam, and Fred, the body of Christ is when the church is together. Not in rows, but in circles. And the closest you're going to get to the Father is when you are with other people in relationship, in community. And Jesus says, when you take care of one another, it's like you take care of me. Jesus says, when you see someone blind and naked and hurting and wounded, and you take care of them, it's as if you took care of me. And if you're feeling distant from people, it's probably because you've moved and drifted away and you've stopped meeting together but there's a second reason I think that's the risk of drifting away from your faith the risk of drifting away from your faith you know I hear stories all the time we do as a staff of people who come to CCC and we ask how they heard about the church and and what's their story and we hear all these we often hear the stories of people who say yeah I just kind of got away from it and as we walk them back through the story, well, well where were you before? And what was happening in your life? What was going on? And well, we were in this great group and we we're having this great experience and then something happened and it fell apart. And then eventually we didn't go as much and then we just kind of quit. And now we're kind of thinking we should re-engage in that. And the truth is, if you abandon community, you run the risk of abandoning your faith. Because faith comes alive in community. And if you're not in community, you're going to become self-centered, self-focused, and short-sighted. If you're not in community, you're going to become self-centered, self-focused, and short-sighted. Say, John, that's a pretty strong statement. It is. It is. But when you're in community, when you're in relationships, when you're giving attention to other people, it's not about you. When you're hearing other people's stories, it's not about you. Listen to this statement. People who think they're better than other people haven't had the time to hear the stories of the people they think they're better than. Let me say that again. People who think they're better than other people haven't taken the time to hear the stories of people they think they are better than one of the things I love about our group experience is that we get to sit and hear one another's story. We hear what's happened in our lives. We hear our journey of faith. And that's just a starting point. And then we move from there to hear what's happening in our lives as so we try to take the things that we hear on Sunday morning and live them out in our lives. The truth is, we all need relationships. We all need community. You say, even you, John? Yeah. Even me. Even me. You know, one of the things I learned this last year, um, while anybody that knows me knows that I enjoy relationships and they're a meaningful part of my life, I discovered about myself that I tend to process my struggles on my own. While I love to be in relationships and love to have friendships, I process my struggles on my own. And then I share them with someone else. And God had to show me this past year, John, that's not the way life should work. And God had to give me some struggles that were bigger than anything else I had ever faced in my life, more scary than anything else I would ever faced in my life, and help me see, you can't do this on your own. You can't do this on your own. And for me to have a band of brothers that could walk along life with me and in this journey, And they didn't solve my problems. They didn't tell me to do anything differently. They were just there with me in the struggles of life, in the hardships of life. And they could grieve with me in the pain, and they could celebrate with me when God showed up. And they've been doing that with me in an amazing way. And so I don't know where you're at in this wrestling with these things, but this is really God's design for the church. God's designed for the church. And the reason I've titled this series ER is because we don't know we need the ER until we need it, right? You don't think about going to the ER right now. Is anybody thinking about going to the ER? I don't think anybody, hopefully not. You know, let us know if you're in rough shape. But hopefully nobody's thinking about it, right? You're not thinking about it. But when you need it, you're glad it's there, right? You're absolutely glad that it's there when you need it. And so you might be looking at, your life right now, I'm thinking about your life and thinking, well, that's nice, John, and I hear you, and you're obviously convinced about it, and you believe in your passion, but I don't know that I need it. Yet. Yet. Because there is kind of time in every single one of our lives when we need it. When we need it. When we are facing a crisis, and God's design for you when you are in crisis is not to be sitting in one of these rows but for you to be sitting in a circle in relationship with people. They're going to walk through the ups and downs of life with you and share it with you. You know what was amazing in the first century? The first century was made up of these little gatherings. They called them ecclesias, or they would call them little churches. We would call them small groups today. Um, They were made up of men and women, slaves free, rich, poor, and they all came together. And you know the one thing they had in common? Jesus. It's the one thing they had in common. They didn't have their economic status. They didn't have their, um, uh, their political status. They didn't have any of those things in common. The only thing they had in common was Jesus. And the writer said, some of you have stopped, but you can't stop. You can't stop, because if you stop, you're, gonna be, you're not going to hold one. You're going to let go. But he says, what do you need to do instead? He says, you need to encourage one another all the more. Don't stop meeting, but you need to encourage one one another, all the more. What does it mean to encourage? I heard this statement this week and it stuck with me. To encourage means to instill courage. To instill courage. You see, it takes courage to live out your faith at home. It takes courage to live out your faith in the classroom, as some of you have started and some of you are heading back this week. It takes courage to live out your faith at family gatherings. It takes courage to deal with the struggles that you heard Greg and Mike talk about this morning that are going on in your life. It takes courage to do and not just believe. It takes courage to live selflessly. It takes courage to be generous. It takes courage to give of yourself over and over and over again. And so what does Paul say? Excuse me. What does the writer of Hebrews say in verse 23? He says, I want you to hold on tightly, unswervingly. Because what? Because God is faithful. I want you to hold on this hope. And he said, the way you hold on this hope is you spur one another on to love and good deeds. And the way you do that is by not quitting gathering, but give one another courage to face the new challenges that you're encountering. So we're moving into the fall, and so everything is changing. Finally got some sunshine, finally got some cooler nights, hopefully things are drying out, everything is changing. Um, New school year, new season, uh, time for things to start and change, and new here at CCC. I want to ask you this question, is anyone outside of your family spurring you on to live out your faith? Is anyone outside your family spurring you on to live out your faith? Have you given up meeting together? Have you tried it? It ended badly. Have you tried it and you drifted away? Or maybe you never tried it. Maybe you just sit in rows. You read your Bible, you talk to God, put some money in the box, but you just sit in rows. Um, If you've been sitting in rows just listening to someone talking, maybe it's time to make a change. Maybe it's time to make a change because I'm not content with you just believing. I'm not content with you just believing. Time for you not just believe but live out your faith by doing this in the lives of other people. And for us here at CCC, our community groups are where this is going to happen. You say, John, how do I get involved and plugged into a community group? Well, we're going to have some events coming up here in the next couple of weeks for you to do that. And I'm going to encourage you now to take out your communication cards. If you're not in a group, if you just come and sit here and you're not in a group, flip that card over and just write groups. And Roddy will get those and he will contact you about it. Because we don't just want you to, groups are not a place where you debate what you believe, but the groups are a place where you practice and process how to live this out. How to live this out. If you say, John, I think it's a good idea, but life's just too busy, it's too full, I don't have time. Let me ask you this question. Um, Do you have time for exercise? Clearly, by your laughter at that picture of the clothes on the exercise equipment, you do not. You do not. But I want you to do this. I want you to go home. I want you to take out a bucket. And I want you to put in that bucket everything you've done instead of exercising over the last 12 months. Okay? Everything you've done instead of I want you to put it in that bucket. I want you to see what it adds up to. What's in the bucket? Now, let me ask you this question. If you did exercise for 12 months, would you have something to show for it? What do you think? Yes or no? Yes. Yes. I've been working with a group of people for some of the, over the last three months. Uh, meet here for workout classes, watching their diet, experiencing incredible things. Not only weight loss, but energy, um, ability to do things in life they haven't done for, for many, many, many years. And that's just after three months of being involved in this process. Um, let me ask you this. If you went to a small group for 12 months, do you think you'd have anything in the bucket to show for it? I believe that you would. I believe that you would. Um, and if you're committed to, ch- to being involved in relations, my challenge is, you for, is for you to take the risk. He said, it's going to take a risk on my part. I know it is. It's going to take a risk for you to be vulnerable. It's going to take a risk for you to set something else aside that at the end of 12 months, you won't have much to show for it and say, this is what I have to show for. I have relationships. I have people in my life. I have people that pray with me. I have people that walk through life with me. And I know that I'm not in it alone. You say, what do groups look like here at CCC? Well, it's about 10 to 14 people. They meet two to three times a month. Um... Sometimes they'll talk about the message from the morning and how they practice that, how they live it out. Sometimes they'll do other studies. The group gets to decide. Uh, They pray together. Uh, They do life together. It's a place to connect with each other and to flesh out how do we live out our faith. And so I want you not just to take the stuff off the exercise equipment. That would be a good idea if you did that. Um, Or come join me on Tuesday. Monday and Thursdays here in the gym at 5.30. You could do that as well if you want. But I want you to exercise your faith. That's what I want you to do. I want you to exercise your faith. I'm thrilled that you're here sitting in rows. But I believe God wants more and He has more for you if you choose to add to that sitting in a circle as well. Would you bow your heads with me and And as we do, I just want to give you a moment to talk to God about where you're at. Um, If you're in a group, if you're in a setting, if you're in community and it's been impactful to you, can you just take a moment and thank God for that? And if you're not, can you just take a moment and be honest with God about why not? Have you drifted? Have you been hurt? Just too busy? Not sure it's for you.